Good morning. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, today's reading is from Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. Once again, it's good to have you. Seems like you're glad to be here. <laughs> Let's take the quiet as affirmation of whatever I say. Uh, we are in a season in the church calendar and also in a series specific to Missio called Eastertide. And Eastertide in the church calendar is a 40-day period of celebration that begins on Easter Sunday and moves forward celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Easter and the good news of resurrection is more than a one-day event. Easter, we throw a huge party. It's awesome, big tables, lots of food, as we should. But we also believe that coming out of Easter, we live in a new reality, a resurrection reality, an Easter reality. And so we want to practice that way of celebrating and of living for 40 days to enter ourselves into that good news story. And the way that we're doing that throughout this season is looking at the post-resurrection encounters that happen in the Bible. So Jesus has his resurrection moment on Easter Sunday, and then he begins to appear to his disciples and his followers and his friends and his family for a period of 40 days. And in those encounters and in those experiences, we get to see these beautiful moments of resurrection hope and good news. So far, we've looked at three such encounters. Week one 
Heather began us with the story of Mary Magdalene as Jesus meets this marvelous and courageous woman in her grief to help her rise and resurrect again. Then the week after that, we looked at Thomas and how Jesus encounters Thomas in his doubts and in his questions and provides him an experience of himself. And then last week, Heather walked us through Jesus' encounter with Peter and what it looks like for Peter to experience repair, and to repair his relationship with Jesus after the denial of the crucifixion. There's actually, though, a lot of stories that happen within this 40-day period of time that we don't get to hear about. Jesus is with his disciples for 40 days, and we only get some of the stories. We don't know everything that happens or all the different encounters. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus at one moment appeared to 500 brothers and sisters during this 40-day period of time. We don't get those stories. We don't know what happens in all of those different moments. Instead, what we get is a summary in Acts chapter 1 that tells us a bit about what's happening in this 40-day period of time in between these different interactions. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, Jesus appeared to them for a period of over 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. Kingdom is Jesus' favorite shorthand way of talking about the gospel. It's his work to restore, to heal, to forgive. How they said it last week, it's the truth and the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And saying the kingdom of God, or the passage we read today, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Those are shorthand ways for declaring that I am the king that I said I was going to be, that I am the Messiah, that I declare that I am going to be, that this good news work is here and true. And so Jesus spends 40 days telling his disciples that he has accomplished his good news. For 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is teaching and continuing to make disciples of his followers. In all of those different moments, that 40 days, it leads us to one final post-resurrection encounter where Jesus will soon ascend to the Father, take his throne, which the ascension is good news. We don't have time to talk about it today, but just know it's part of the gospel. It's good news. And Jesus, in Matthew 28, he gathers his disciples together, and this is what happens. Sean read it for us this morning. The text says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But I really love this moment. Some doubted. I'm just so thankful Matthew includes this like, little bit of human inclusion. They've seen a resurrected Jesus eat eggs, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. David Blaine can do that too. I don't know. Some doubted. The text goes on to say, Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Gospel shorthand. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. For three years, the disciples had been with Jesus, following him, learning from him, 
watching him. And then for the last 40 days post the resurrection, they have been experiencing this good news of Jesus's resurrection. And now, before he ascends to the throne, Jesus commissions and invites his disciples to partner with him in his work in the world of making disciples. The final moment before the ascension, this last resurrection story, is about Jesus inviting his followers to join his work. This is a moment that we are probably all very familiar with, but it is wild and amazing. Jesus is inviting and commissioning the disciples to be participants in the thing that he is doing. And if we remember the story, just 40 days before, they weren't all-stars. 40 days before, the disciples had fled Jesus. They had abandoned him at the crucifixion, at least the 11 that are talked about in this story, while Mary was still present with him. And yet, 40 days later, Jesus is here commissioning them and inviting them to partner and to participate in his work. And that leads us to our conversation today. Matthew records this first great commission, but for 2,000 years, that great commission has been extended from one generation to another generation, sometimes imperfectly, sometimes really beautifully, leading to the moment that we find ourselves in today, that somehow you and I are here because of this moment. That's wild. Do you ever think about that? 2,000 years ago, Jesus was like, hey, go tell people about me. And then fast forward in Salt Lake City, Utah on a rainy Sunday, here we are, recipients of this Great Commission news. And Jesus was like, hey, you get to join this storytelling disciple work with me that's been handed down from one generation to the next. And so today, what we're going to talk about is this. What does it mean for us to be participants in this work that God is doing in us? What does it mean for us to be a part of the commission that Jesus first gives to his disciples in Matthew 28 or Acts chapter 1? What does it look like for us to pick that same call up, to respond to Jesus' invitation, to partner with him and to join in spreading Eastertide good news and making disciples. What does it mean to make disciples of all nations? Today we're going to keep that very simple. My goal is to be as practical and as helpful as possible. And so we're going to break this down into two questions. Number one, what is a disciple? Number two, how do you make them? (laughs) Nothing I say here will be that new, hopefully. But I do want to say this before we dive in. Nothing I say will be that new, but they are hard-earned truths for me personally. Things that I had to learn the hard way, even though they're like right in the story, and Jesus is like, do these things. I have a tendency to overcomplicate everything. My mom's laughing at that. I just have a tendency to overcomplicate things, and, and for good reason. I have a doctorate in uh, church stuff, and so that just means you're going to complicate things. And I've been doing discipleship programs since I was, like, in the womb. And when you're—she's laughing again. And when you, 
when you've been in church a long time, if this is you, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably done a discipleship program, you've probably gone through a class, they're beautiful, amazing, helpful, but oftentimes you also pick up pet projects, passions, individual expressions, the tradition that you are in that sometimes can make things loaded or complicated. For example, when I was 18, I did a discipleship program that had a very large emphasis on breaking numerological codes in the Old Testament. (laughs) Just let that one sink in for you. At 18, I thought that was so cool. I was like, this is the Da Vinci Code. I'm Tom Hanks. When I went to college, I was like, hey, that was weird. (laughs) And also... I don't know what it had to do with making me be like Jesus, but hey, here it is. If I ever find myself in like a Zelda temple, I'll be able to unbreak the code. So sometimes, all that to say, we can make discipleship, I can make discipleship a bit complicated. And so today, we just want to get it as simple and as practical as possible. What does it actually mean when Jesus says, be my disciple, go make disciples? What is this great commission actually? And so we're going to start here. With a simple definition, what is a disciple? When we talk about discipleship today, we almost always do so exclusively within the domain of Christianity, following Jesus. But in the ancient world, discipleship was a very common practice. Discipleship was the very common practice of becoming an apprentice to a rabbi. Rabbis existed all throughout ancient world, especially in this ancient context of Israel, and they would gather to them disciples. And these disciples were people who wanted to learn from their rabbi, yes. But more importantly, disciples are people who wanted to be like their rabbi. Our Western post-enlightenment understanding of education highly emphasizes information as the purpose of education or discipleship or transformation. But in the ancient world, education was an important part of the process. You would hear your rabbi speak. You would talk about Torah with your rabbi. You would dialogue about the scriptures with your teacher. But you would also live with them. And you would go wherever they went, and you would go on field trips with them, and you would go do ministry with them, and you would travel with them, and you would live in proximity to them for a long period of time because you didn't want to just know what they knew. You wanted to live like them. You wanted to imitate your rabbi. You wanted to be like your rabbi. And so when we talk about discipleship and following Jesus and becoming a disciple of Jesus, that's exactly what we are referring to. To be a disciple of Jesus does not mean that you know a ton about Jesus, though that's an important part of it. It means that you are imitating Jesus. That you are becoming like Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul tells the church, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Or why in 1 Peter 2 verse 21, Jesus' disciple tells the church, Jesus has set you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. To be a disciple of Jesus is to imitate Jesus. It's to know Jesus, to learn from Jesus. It is to do what we see Jesus do. And it is through the power of the Spirit to become 
more like Jesus. That's it. Discipleship is about becoming like Jesus, imitating Jesus. It's that simple. Maybe not that easy, but it is that straightforward. To be a disciple is to be someone who is imitating Jesus, becoming like Jesus. That does not mean it is about perfection or about perfecting something. That's why we often say here that we are practicing the way of Jesus. We are practicing this thing called discipleship because as we put our hands on it and as we begin to try it and as we begin to develop the muscles for it, as we begin to develop the skills in discipleship, we become disciples. We are trying this thing on, trying to follow Jesus, believing that the Holy Spirit meets us in that work and transforms us. So discipleship is about becoming like Jesus. And it is a way of life, not simply a moment of conversion. Trusting Jesus and believing in Jesus are important parts of this process. But I think sometimes when we think about discipleship, we put so much emphasis on this moment of belief or about believing enough or about learning enough and not enough on the fact that discipleship is a way of life. Jesus, follow me, not simply believe in me. It's a journey of traveling with Jesus, of following in his footsteps, of learning to do the things that he does and becoming like him. To be a disciple of Jesus is to see what Jesus does and try it on. You want to pray? Jesus says, pray like this. You want to love like me? Oh, try these things. When you see a neighbor in need, do these things. Love your enemy like this. This is what God is like. You want to be like me? Try these things on. Come and follow me. It is not about perfection, but about practicing the way. And in that mysterious transaction, something happens where the Spirit meets us and begins to transform us. Paul says this really beautiful thing in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. He says, All of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord, as though we are looking in a mirror. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's something happening in this moment, in this conversation, in this dialogue with God where the Spirit meets us and transforms us and takes our efforts and makes us like Jesus. And so then Paul has this thing that I love a lot. That's actually at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, right after this verse. He says, that is why we don't get discouraged. What a beautiful reminder for those of us who are trying to follow Jesus. So you practice the way, you try on the things that Jesus tells us. We imitate Jesus, do what we see Jesus does, and then we don't get discouraged because the Spirit is at work in us. Completing this work, finishing this work. Our job is simply to imitate Jesus, to do what he does, and to be with him, and the Spirit will do the rest. So, very simply, that is what it means to be a disciple. Disciple is someone who is with Jesus, who does 
what they see Jesus does, and through the power of the Spirit is transformed into the image of Jesus. Now that leads us to our second question. Well, then um, how do we make them? <laughs> how do we make disciples? If this is what it means to be a disciple, what do, you, what do you do? How do you participate in this work that Jesus is doing? And again, I want to keep things very simple. The very first thing that I think is clear throughout this story and the text in the life of the early church, is we point to Jesus. If you want to make disciples, you point disciples. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded. In Acts 1.8, which is a mirror moment of this story, Jesus says, you are witnesses to the things that I've done. Just go witness to it. As Christians, Jesus is the focal point of our faith. And so discipleship and our witness are about pointing to Jesus. And here's the thing, that is really, really, really good news. I don't know how often you get to have conversations with folks who are somewhere on a faith journey, but maybe not uh, so comfortable with expressing like Christian faith expressions. This is the thing that I get the joy of doing a lot. I get to talk to a lot of people who are just somewhere on that journey. And often in those conversations, One of the most common refrains that I hear is something like this. I cannot believe in a God who is or does blank. I don't know if you've ever heard a phrase that's similar to this. I cannot believe in a God who seems so hateful. I cannot believe in a God who is so violent. Or I cannot believe in a God whose church is so angry or polarized or blank. Anybody heard a phrase or comment similar to this? My own temptation, again, as a person who likes to overcomplicate things, is to argue. It's never helped me. <laughs> I want to argue beliefs about God. I want to prove that God isn't that way. I want to show throughout like a detailed historical exegesis of Hebrew scripture and time that that's not what God's like if you just knew the Hebrew, homie. And they're like, I'm not going to learn that. I'm like, that's fair. Recently, I was having a conversation along the same lines with someone who I really, really like, really respect, who is an avowed atheist and left organized religion because of just a very difficult experience in a very specific kind of organized religion that revolved mainly around his children. So there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of frustration, there was a lot of grief. And as we were talking, he was telling me about how painful his experience had been for him, but even more so because he watched it be painful for his child. As we were having this conversation, I I remember this moment that I I just thought was so beautiful. He was like kind of tearing down the whole edifice of this religious institution. And it was like, you know what, but I really like Jesus. And I was like, me too. And it was in that moment of pointing to Jesus, something very beautiful began to happen because I also really like Jesus. And I believe that in Jesus we see a perfect image of God, the one who is other-oriented and sacrificial, who confronts hypocritical religious institutions, defends those who have been shamed, and always chases the excluded. And as we begin to have that conversation, something beautiful begin to open. Something beautiful begin to unravel. Something that I could only say is the fruit and product of the Spirit at work ahead of us.
My job is not to defend. My job isn't to know all the answers. My job is not to have sophisticated theological reasonings. Though those things are good and right, my job is first and foremost to, to point to Jesus, who I believe is good news. It's to believe the thing that I say. So you point to Jesus. And second, if discipleship is a way of living the way of Jesus, then I think we live the way of Jesus with others. In the text, Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word baptized is interesting. Today we think about it again in exclusively religious terms. We only use the language of baptism in church context. But in the ancient world, lots of things got baptized. If a ship sank, it was baptizedoed. You dunk a donut all the way into your coffee, you baptized it. It's true. It was used in all sorts of ordinary, regular human rhythms. That's how most of our language came into existence. To be the church was just to be a community of people separated from other things. So it's interesting that Jesus uses this word that's more like immerse. Immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think the invitation for us in witnessing or in teaching is to live the way of Jesus with others. As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. That does not mean that we have to be perfect. It just means that we are invited to practice the way of Jesus with others. And through practicing the way of Jesus, people get to taste and see the good news. Biblical writers will often call the church the first fruits of the resurrection, early signs of God's work in the world. We get to live the way of Jesus and invite others to live it with us. We get to live the way of Jesus and invite others to live it with us. And I think because discipleship is about a way of life and making disciples is about living that way of life, I think something that will be difficult for us in this is we stop measuring our discipleship and other people's discipleship by moments of clear belief. Discipleship is about the orientation of our lives, moving towards the imitation of Christ. And that is very challenging to those of us who have grown up in Western post-enlightenment convictions, where we think what you know is the most definitive part about you. Instead of where are you moving? And this challenges us in so many ways. It challenges me. It doesn't give me as many handholds of control, and so that leads to this third thing about making disciples. You have got to trust that the Spirit is at work ahead of you. I've been thinking about this a lot. In John 16, verse 9, Jesus says this thing that I have ignored a long time. Uh, Don't tell him. (laughs) Jesus says, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, the Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin. And the thing I've been wrestling with is how often do I make that my job? How often do I make the job of the Spirit my job? Instead of pointing to Jesus, I make it something totally different, transformation, healing even, conviction of sin. My job is to point to Jesus, to live the way of Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit move ahead of me, be at work in front of me. 
trusting that the same God who is at work inside of me is at work in the world around me. We believe fundamentally that the Spirit is at work in the world, transforming, healing, calling, renewing. That is our Our job is not to do the Spirit's work. Instead, our job is to point to Jesus, to share our lives with others, and to trust and pay attention to the work of the Spirit. To trust and to pay attention and to participate. To be partners of what God is doing. Discipleship is pretty simple. Kind of hard. (laughs) Because there's no program or formula to discipleship. There is the way of Jesus and this person that we get to know and we follow. There's no clear formula or model to it. We actually see this, I think, so beautifully in these Eastertide stories. Jesus shows up to Mary and his encounter with Mary looks so different than his encounter with Thomas, which is so different from his encounter with Peter. They're all centered on him. He's the focal point of every one of those moments. He's the good news in each of those stories, but it is quite different the way he shows up and invites them into life with him. I think maybe that's where discipleship is the most challenging is that it forces us to let go of our own sense of control. There's a pastor named Brian Zahn who says one of the hardest parts about discipleship in America is that we are already well-discipled by America. The way of Jesus can seem so upside down and backwards, partnering with God, being humble, submitting to the thing that he is doing in the midst of us, listening to the Spirit. What are you doing? Challenges so much of the way that we've been formed and Led. And so here's what I want to do. In light of that, I want to end our time with a more extended period of reflective prayer than we often do at the end of a sermon or a service. I think what it looks like to be a disciple is pretty clear, pretty straightforward. The challenge is internal, it's formational. So things that we believe, the stories we've been told, the places of resistance and obstacle in our own life. And so I want to create some space for us to pray. And I have three different prompts that we'll put up on the screen that I would invite you as you're just having a moment to pray, to pray through. God, I confess the ways that I do not live and love like Jesus. It's a line from a very famous confessional prayer. Spirit, help me to follow Jesus and practice his way and help me to trust that you are really at work in me. And Spirit, show me where you're at work and how I can join you. Maybe the things come to mind very specifically. Would you name them? Maybe people come to mind or workplaces or environments come to mind. Would you name those places and begin to pray through them? So what we're going to do is we're going to take like three, five minutes of just reflective prayer. I'm going to invite the band up to just kind of create a little bit of environment around us. And then after three to five minutes, I'll close us in prayer. But you're invited to continue offering these prayers. You can go to our prayer team who will be over here after this moment. They would love to pray with you and to continue reflecting through these things with you. And then we'll continue to worship with 
offering. So, Missy, would you just take a moment, three to five minutes, to reflect and to pray through what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? What is it that God is calling us into today?